This is a Need 10 Media production. Welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Clayberg. And in this episode, we're going to learn more about, uh, you might be familiar with college admissions and how that all kind of works if you're a student or a parent, but we're going to get behind the scenes with somebody who spent a number of years in that career, but uh, then evolved into still kind of stay, uh, still really staying attached to involvement with college age students. So we're going to bring in uh, right now here, just very shortly, Matt Kroger. But again, this show, ladies and gentlemen, it introduces you to jobs, careers, and work that many job, many people don't even know are out there and how they even got there. So Matt, welcome into That's a Job podcast. Uh, we've got to know each other here for the last few years, and, and we're just talking before recording of, of how your life uh, has really evolved since we first met and being able to, to get into what you're doing now and having a real impact. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I'm going to rewind. And you're a, you're a senior in high school. What did you think you'd end up doing? Oh, you know, Nate, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I like to share, like a lot of people do, the story of how they got to where they're at and where they're going. So I, uh, I started off the college search really thinking, uh, you know, even before the senior year, I, maybe it was the LA law factor. I thought maybe law school. So uh, that had some of my college choices maybe predefined for me and what I thought was a good place to go for uh, pre-law. Uh, but my dad at the time, um, actually, I should say my uncle that raised me at the time, um, was working in a bank. And I thought, you know what? He does a lot of good for the community. Um, and maybe I would want to major in finance. So um, regardless, business kind of seemed to be a core central theme. So uh, doing a, you know, a better, more specific search and also coming from a really small high school, um, the University of Northern Iowa for me was a really great fit from the western side of the state. You know, it was four hours away from home, great business programs. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small in the Goldilocks terms from a size. It was just right. So enrolled out of high school and started working on campus by a referral. And that's really what, you know, led me into my career. So yeah, you're looking at a referral and that referral was getting into being a part of trying to get students to, to come to that university. And, and you did that work, I guess, talk through that. You did that work uh, in Cedar Falls at Northern Iowa, but you made your way around the country a little bit, getting some experience in some different roles in that or some different uh, uh, offices uh, doing some of that same type of work. Talk through that and maybe some of the differences you saw along the way. Sure. You know, um, I started working in the admissions office because the at the time, the vice president for student services, Dr. Sue Fallon, um, she was a close friend with uh, somebody that I knew from my hometown. And I, you know, had conversations with her throughout my undergrad and she knew I was working on campus. But before my junior year, she said, Matt, there's a place on campus where <clears throat> I really think you would, you know, enjoy the work and get along with the people. And it was working in the admissions office. And uh, I started. Why do, why do you think she said that? What, what was it she saw about you as I, as I interrupt? What was the work that she saw in admissions uh, and how it lined up with what she saw in, in what in who you were and the work that you may enjoy? I think she knew that I was having a very positive experience as an undergraduate. Um, I was doing fine academically, um, but I was also involved on campus and I, you know, I was enjoying my student path and journey. Um, and she knew that the work that happened in the admissions office 
was really sort of conveying that level of positivity with other future prospective students. So the job I first got was actually calling prospective students and parents um, who had either expressed interest or been applied or had applied and been admitted to the university. Uh, really being a vocal ambassador uh, to reach out to students and encourage them to attend, uh, but also help them with their college search and help them let them know what it was like, you know, the day in the life of a student. So she saw that I was doing well and that I would, you know, fit this sort of role to a T and it, she was right. She was fantastic. Um, um, and it, and it was a, it was an unbelievable experience working for some great people. My former supervisor's still here in Cedar Falls and at UNI and we stay in touch and I give her credit, constant Connie Hansen, um, as uh, somebody that helped shape my career as well too. So, um, but really I, I thought I, I didn't really, um, think of going to college and being a admissions officer, right? I still was in that finance mentality of being a banker like my dad, but I saw really in the office um, how some of the skills that I was being taught and some of the knowledge that was being uh, you know, given to us in some of the business classes really translated into some of the work that was being done. So in my mind, it started crafting, wow, I can use these business skills with my major um, and really never leave a college campus. And I like to say, just transfer around, which is what I did. I was able to transfer uh, by, you know, gaining increasing levels of responsibilities and roles to a number of different institutions, mostly publics, but I also had a chance to work for a private institution back in my hometown of Sioux City. Uh, back then it was Morningside College. Now it's Morningside University. Um, so working on both the public and private side, but also geographic differences too. So I had the chance to spend seven years out in Arizona at Northern Arizona University. Um, two of those years were working for one of our outreach offices in the city of Phoenix. And the territory that I had as an admissions representative then was really one that encompassed some of the riches of diversity in the, in the city of Phoenix, which as a you know, young white male from really rural Iowa, um, this was quite an eye-opening experience for me. And it opened some doors and it led me eventually up to the main campus in Flagstaff. So um, great, great opportunities, but also approaching them head on and uh, you know, enjoying every step of the way. Well, it's an interesting conversation when you look at, you know, majoring in business, and I'll hear it from students, well, I don't really want to be in business. Um, but I always say, well, if you're getting a paycheck from somewhere, that's a business, you know, uh, in admissions, it's marketing, it's sales, there's accounting, there's financial work that goes into it. Uh, there's operations that come into that whole thing. Uh, but that's something clearly as you come along, you, you don't necessarily think about the business skills being in admissions. And there's other opportunities or other career paths like that, that they don't see that. You probably saw that along the line in talking to students in your recruitment efforts uh, in them trying to figure out what to do and where to go with that. Absolutely. You know, talking to the students in high school um, that, you know, thought or maybe they were, you know, encouraged by parents or others, you know, you should be a doctor, you should be the, the ones that always made me um, dive in a little deeper and ask the questions were the students who maybe didn't necessarily take or enjoy a lot of science in high school, but yet they thought they wanted to be a doctor. So helping them sort of level set on the expectations, but in those moments where it's helpful to have conversations with them about what they truly enjoy. 
right? Money is and finances um, on a personal level are something that are very important. But you know, if you, if you love the job you do, um, work isn't necessarily dragging yourself out of bed every morning and getting to a place where you've got to you know slam a bunch of coffee to stay awake. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's fulfilling and doing something that is really fulfilling um, in how you fill your days um, has some very profound effects on overall happiness. Um, and the level of gratitude and what you can give back to your communities and other organizations. So if you feel energized and inspired by it, you know, then your cup is running over and you're giving to others. We're going we're gonna to play into that message in just a little bit, but closing out, and I was just calculating your what, 20, 21 years involved formerly in admissions as, as far as your career. And, you know, from a parent standpoint, maybe a student listening to this, any inside secrets we should know about the admissions process? <laughs> from an insider's perspective, I, I've got to ask that question. Uh, I, I, fair question. Um, when it comes to the search and presenting yourself to colleges, um, be authentic, uh, be realistic, right? Some institutions that, that are maybe seen upon as highly selective, but I think the new term that many in the industry are now calling it is highly rejective because they reject, you know, 85 to 90% of the applicants. Um, but the realistic portion too is thinking about what an education can do for you, what you have saved up or what your family has saved up to afford an education, and what is the amount of student loan debt or financing you feel comfortable with as an individual with your family that you want to make towards that investment, because all of those factors play in. Um, and it used to be this notion that, you know, you went to college. I mean, you graduate, you go to college. You know, if you didn't go to a four-year institution, you go to a two-year institution. That tide is definitely turned. Um, you know, there are so many more opportunities, I think, now for students in the trades and apprenticeships. And for those that really, truly don't know what they want to do, that pressure that they might feel to go on to college, um, pause that. And parents, pause that. Because is it really a good investment to spend money on tuition and fees and living expenses? If you're just going to classes to figure it out, there's a lot of ways to figure it out that don't cost you tuition. So, Everybody crafts their timeline differently. So think about the timeline that fits you, not necessarily something that has maybe, you know, been preached throughout time, um, but really uh, tackle your timeline on your own um, speed and level and do what's right for you. You know, your work at Northern Arizona and in Iowa and at Idaho State and, and Northern Iowa, uh, you, you probably came across, I, I guess let's call them your competitors, and, mm -hmm. and maybe even the systems you're in, where did you see, you know, what are some flags that parents and students should be aware of uh, when they're working with a, a college recruiter admissions office that uh, may not really come through? I don't know if there's a, a car, car salesman mentality or a used car salesman mentality. Uh, no offense to anybody out there who's a car salesman, but, you know, are there some flags out there that you would come across or maybe some things you hear even today with uh, connections you still have? Um, I think one of the biggest things that students and families need to pay attention to, um, because, you know, back in the day, early on, as the, you know, when I first started working in admissions as a student and as a young professional, professional, the internet and the web really didn't exist. It was coming around, right? Um, the amount of information that's out there is always, always growing. Um, as students look at things like lists of majors, um, pay attention to 
what those actually are and what they're available at what each institution has available, but also paying attention to that sort of sticker price versus what am I actually going to pay? What's my out of pocket? You know, and there's some fantastic tools out there like net price calculators and scholarship estimators and things like that. Um, so paying very close attention to those um, and making sure that it all sort of fits in to what's important for you. Um, I think a majority of people that work in the college admissions profession really are in it for the right reason. They want students to enroll that aren't just going to fill the class, but they want them to enroll if they're going to be successful and stick around for their second semester or term, their second year, and ultimately walk across the stage four or five years later with their degree in hand, because resoundingly, those are the students that are going to continue to be strong supporters um, and do well in their career, but also remember fondly their college experience. If a student ends up at a wrong institution, you know, circumstances happen. Um, and that's why, you know, many institutions have such, you know, solid transfer pathways and programs for them. Whether or not you start off at a two-year institution and those are defined from community college to a four-year institution, or whether or not you transfer from one four-year institution to another. So um, I think the college admissions folks that are out there, especially here in our region, the state of Iowa, I mean, they want to see all students succeed. And sometimes they know that it's, you know, their institution isn't the right fit or, or, or place for them to come directly out of high school. So as you, as you come through that, a lot of great information to pull out of there. Uh, and then going back a few years ago, uh, had the opportunity to, to, to do something different. Talk about that transition, still really kind of working, uh, you know, in helping students get into and even more especially pay for college. Right. Talk through your next step after leaving the admissions world and you didn't have to wear a shirt and tie anymore. I, I, I didn't. Um, and I didn't have to show up on a campus uh, uh, every Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturdays. Um, I always knew that what I shouldn't say always when I was in the admissions and higher ed and enrollment management profession, I always knew that I wanted to work on the other side of the desk. And that other side is working for a company or a vendor that supplies some products or services to help institutions. Um, that was something that at one of the institutions I worked at um, uh, previously, uh, the University of Iowa. In fact, my role there, I worked with a large number of the uh, vendors and providers that uh, that you know helped us do our work um, each and every day. So I always knew that that other side of the table experience is something I wanted. So I also knew I didn't want to go just anywhere, right? If I was going to make that leap off campus to an outside organization that works with an abundance of colleges and universities, it had to be a place that was a good fit for me. And for me, what that meant was it didn't just work with students. It didn't just work with parents. It didn't just help high school counselors or community college advisors. It kind of helped that whole entire trifecta. So I went to work for an ed tech company called Raise Me, um, which was a scholarship platform that was used, I think at the time, by over three or four million students across the country. Um, and that was a really fantastic experience. Um, I was able to you know, have the uh, ability to have uh, really good, meaningful, constructive conversations and working sessions. Um, my, at one point, my portfolio uh, was built up to about 50 institutions across the country, and that was just with Raise Me. Um, then fast forward to the pandemic, you know, a little over two years ago, and Raise Me then became part of another larger organization, uh, Campus Logic. And Campus Logic specialized in uh, financial aid products and services 
that over 800 institutions at the time work with. Uh, so needless to say, my portfolio grew and uh, I, I was with Campus Logic for a, an additional year or so beyond that. And my portfolio was up to about 85 colleges across the country. And these are everything you can imagine big schools, small schools, public, private, and the relationships with each one of them weren't necessarily always the same. Um, some of them knew what we had and knew how to use it, and they were great. It was a check-in, right? It was a check-in. How are things going? What are you seeing? Um, other uh, campuses that I worked with, uh, maybe their uh, struggles or challenges were a little bit different. So having really more uh, consultative sessions on not just what they're doing with the product or products that we help them with, but more holistically at their operations and trying to identify some areas that they could see as maybe some improvements or in some cases, some quick wins to put them in a better trajectory. So um, that ability to work with such a variety of institutions uh, was something that I will never look back on um, because it really helped eventually, you know, lead me to where I'm at now. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and you look at, we talked just a little bit before and you look at going from a, a complex organization like a university into an ed tech uh, environment, uh, almost flying solo, uh, you know, working in a co-work space or your house or wherever. Talk about that cultural uh, evolution that you had uh, as far as discovering that really a kind of whole new lifestyle for you. It was, Nate, it really was a transition and, um, and, and a big one in a number of ways. Um, not just, you know, not showing up at a physical place or space, but, you know, working out of a dedicated home office, going to a uh, co-working facility with my laptop, um, traveling, um, and traveling with teenagers. Right. Um, it was, it was really, and also going from the, the sheer size, going from a campus, you know, with, you know, over 10,000 students, over a thousand faculty and staff going to an organization where you have um, 55 other colleagues that are your peers and they're located across the country and in different time zones. Um, but I would say that the support that the ed tech firms that I had the chance to work with, it was never, it was never a situation where I felt alone because I had colleagues across the country, but I also had the chance to know them and their specialty areas. So if I was presented with a challenge or an obstacle or something that I just didn't know how to do, you know, I knew the right person or persons to get in touch with. Um, and we, there was also this sense of sort of communal camaraderie, um, you know, with a remote staff uh, that, you know, we were in this together and we were there to help one another. So, you know, whether that means, you know, uh, helping out with a uh, maybe a, it was a webinar that we advertised to all of our partner colleges across the company. You know, you chip in and help out. So that spirit of collective uh, belonging uh, was really something, but also collective belonging, not in that traditional sense where you're around face to face with people all of the time. So, well, and you know, getting through you know recruitment and admissions and helping to pay for it. You're still now, as we get into, I, I think you have found a place that, that is, uh, you found purpose in, and you're still kind of working in that same type of uh, entrepreneurial type culture. Talk about where you're at now. It's, it's, it's completely different. Uh, well, I would say completely different. You're still doing some recruiting in there, but there's a whole different purpose to it. Talk through where you're at now. Absolutely. Um, so about eight and a half months ago, I uh, was presented with the opportunity to join the team with Be The Match or the National Marrow Donor Program. 
So uh, this is an organization that's based out of the uh, Minneapolis uh, metro area. Um, and it's also one that is very near and dear to my heart because my father passed away from leukemia when I was just three years old. And uh, this opportunity and this position with them was really unique. I, I was contacted by um, a, uh, a friend of mine who uh, actually donated uh, stem cells years before, and she went to go work for this organization. And uh, she mentioned to me, you know what, Matt, um, there's, uh, there's going to be a couple positions coming open with us, and there might be something that may interest you. And at the time, she didn't even know that my father had passed away from leukemia. And it was, um, I like to say, this was a stars in alignment sort of thing. So my role would be the matches. Uh, I get the privilege of managing our national collegiate partnerships. So we partner with a number of different organizations uh, that help us do our work. And our work is simple. Our mission is saving lives through cellular therapy. Um, but we can't do that if we don't have donors and matches within our registry that can provide a life-saving treatment to a patient who has leukemia, lymphoma, sickle cell disease. There's probably 75 to 80 others, different diseases that, you know, our staff works to find matches that can provide them that life-saving treatment. And young donors typically are ones that make the best donors for our patients. So that's why we really uh, focus on those students that are, you know, in the 18 to 25, 30, but really anyone between 18 and 40 can join the registry. So our national college partnerships are with organizations big and small all across the country. Some of them are fraternities. Some of them are groups focused on the health sciences. Um, it's really a wide variety and spectrum of groups, but they're all in it with us together because they believe in our mission. And that experience that I had working on the ed tech side of really developing uh, what I'd like to consider to be very collaborative partnerships with colleges and universities and their staff and the admissions or enrollment management office just took on a different lens. Now the partnerships were with organizations uh, that you know have chapters or groups across the country that can work side by side with the staff that we have also located across the country. So, and I don't know if uh, if, if those listening to this, if you can, if you heard the difference in the inflection of Matt's voice when he started talking about his work with Be the Match, there's just that level of excitement and genuine interest that you love what you do. Absolutely. You know, and, and for, for decades, I enjoyed campus life, uh, helping to bring in a class and watching students, you know, from the time that they were offered their letter of admission until they graduated. Um, it, it was extremely fulfilling work. Um, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would have the chance to do something that was still affiliated with colleges and college organizations but yet also went to something even more meaningful. And in this case, that meaningfulness is life. And especially when it's a, you know, a disease that has you know, stricken me and my family personally. Um, but you know, when you start talking with people and hearing their stories and knowing how it has impacted, you know, the same diseases have impacted people um, in generation of individuals across the country, but there is a cure. And that cure really exists on that ability for us to grow the registry. Um, so every day that goes by, knowing that the work that I do is opening up our organization and a new level of knowledge about what we're doing to help grow it so that when somebody doesn't have a match in their family for a life-saving treatment and they and their doctors contact us, we've got the largest and most diverse possible registry for them to be able to match up on 
so that we can, you know, give them that, you know, second chance of life. So we'll get, I'll go ahead and put a link in our show notes just so people can check out more about Be The Match, maybe even get involved, get on that registry or even on the pre-registry. Uh, you know, that's something I know we've partnered with on trying to get the high school kids on, on that pre-registry. Uh, that, that has been fun to see where that's evolved. But in looking at the work that you've had, whether through admissions uh, or, uh, you know, through outreach or marketing or recruitment uh, or fulfilling partnerships, talk through the skill sets that you look at and would advise people or students to really focus in on if they want to get into this type of work that you've been a part of. Right. Um, great question. Uh, the ability to, uh, you know, build and maintain collaborative relationships is critical. Um, ex exceptional communication skills, right? Not just face-to-face -face in person, but also, you know, how you compose your email, how you compose your social media posts, how you represent not just the organization that you're working for, but yourself as a professional. Those are critical keys. Um, I still, <laughs> I remember my high school English teacher when punctuation, when in doubt, leave it out, right? So that's a saying I say to everyone. So even though you might end up in a career that you'd never expect, you know, the, the tokens of information your teachers and even your English teachers, of course, give you in high school make a big difference, right? So that, was, that element of communication. Industry knowledge. Um, I didn't know much about the entire, you know, bone marrow stem cell donation process um, when I joined Be The Match. So there's that level of being able to help educate yourself. And I think that that's really important to young folks when they think about maybe transitioning careers, you know, the ability to do that research on your own and to educate yourself, but at the same time, look for other individuals that can help you along the way. You know, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about working in admissions and enrollment management was, you know, helping some, you know, younger professionals or people interested in the vocation to let them think about it and give them the tools they need to where if they're going to make this a profession, their toolbox is equipped and stacked as much as possible. Um, being able to approach challenges in your position as not just obstacles and hurdles, but opportunities, right? You're not gonna win each and every one. You're gonna knock some of those hurdles down. You're not gonna clear all of them. But what do you learn in the process of failure so that the next time you do it, it isn't just the same thing over again. you come in with a better set of knowledge. You've brushed up your skills. So, so those are some of the things that I think about in this realm um, that really make a um, somebody, you know, be positioned. With the growth of artificial intelligence and the amount of data we have available, depending upon the roles you're looking for, you know, the, the ability to either work with people that know the data intimately or be able to glean information from it so that you can make maybe not necessarily data-driven decisions, but data-informed decisions is going to be critical in a number of careers. So um, that's a good overview. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, everybody listening, you get those skill sets down, you're going to win is what it really comes down to. That, that means uh, those skill sets are so important in so many different facets, but, you know, and, and as in all the people, and I, and this is our 10th, uh, my 10th episode uh, of this podcast. And, and I've asked this question through every one of them. And I think I've only had one that I ended up not being the answer I expected. But if I ask you, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess here, um, I'll, I'll wait till you answer. If I say, Matt, 
I'm going to give you your dream job and I say abracadabra, what is that? Um, I would say that I'm in it now. Thanks, Nate. Can I can I have another wish? <laughs> That's exactly it. I've only had one that didn't say, well, not, it's the job I'm in, you know, and and uh, it's it's been a trend of, of the people I've talked to. But, you know, how can how can you make your job uh, even more? I'm going to mess up this word is more dreamable. Is that a phrase or a word? How could you make it more dreamable? More dreamy. I think I think one thing for the uh, audience audience listening to this, and I'll speak about this in a personal nature too. Maybe not necessarily just for myself, but also for my my wife and spouse. Um, it's never too late. You know, it's never too late. I always thought I wanted to work on the other side of the whole higher ed um, equation. Um, and I certainly got that, but then that led me to someplace else. You know, my wife was that non-traditional graduate student that went back for a second master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Um, she was the, you know, 40, 40 plus year old mother of two teens in the classroom with largely people that were, you know, they could have been her children had we started having children at a younger age. Um, but, you know, she's, she's carved her way as well too. So also being open to that whole notion that, it really never is too late. It's all about the chances and choices you make. Don't complain about your problems. How can you find solutions or be a part of the solution? Matt, I appreciate the time, uh, the, the history, the, uh, the insights into the admission world, and then just the purpose and passion that you now have in your work. But I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Nate. It was a pleasure. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you again, everybody, for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast. That's a job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, and Apple Podcasts, or even wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Venture Academy and the College and Career Discovery course. Discover the work you were wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.